Mackerel Podcast number 220 for December 1st, 2010. Hi, welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. Thanksgiving's over, December has arrived, and that means we're marching into the thick of the holiday season. Given that, in this episode, we look at a class of gifts that remain popular for and from geeks, photography. I speak with Ben Long about shopping for gifts for the photographically inclined. Let's get to it. I'm joined by Macworld's senior contributor, photographer, author, instructor, friend, and man about town, Ben Long. Ben Long knows cameras and their accessories, and because he does, I thought we'd talk about gifts for the photographer in your life. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Chris. So, what do I want for Christmas? Gosh, I feel bad. I, I didn't get you anything. Well, well, there's still plenty of time. Okay. What do you want for Christmas? Um... Maybe we should start with uh, you're a wannabe photographer and you don't have a camera, or you want to upgrade to a better camera. Okay, well, let's say I don't have a camera, but I'm interested in this whole digital camera thing. It's all the rage these days. Really? Um, yeah. So your first question is going to be how much are you interested? How serious are you? Actually, I don't want to say serious because this is going to imply uh, a difference in quality. Do you want to go with a point-and-shoot camera or do you want to go with an SLR? Let's start with a point-and-shoot. Okay, with point-and-shoot cameras. So then your next question is going to be um, how much are you willing to spend? And actually, that's going to be true no matter where you buy. Uh, kind of the first thing you need to decide is I'm comfortable spending up to this amount of money. And then you buy the camera that fits that budget. The good news is digital cameras are really good these days. You're, you're going to be able to get a very good camera uh, for not much money. Mm -hmm. Um if you're serious about photography, though, or that is if you want some room to be able to grow with your point-and-shoot camera and learn more and try more things, you're going to want to be sure and get a point-and-shoot camera with some manual controls, um, that being uh, shutter and aperture priority, maybe a full manual mode. At the very least, you want to be sure that it's got something more than just scene modes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those modes that you can put a camera into that say that are custom-tailored for specific things. I'm shooting fireworks at a birthday party at night in June, and there will be a mode for that, and it biases the camera's meter for that sort of thing. Um, you want something more than that, so you want at least exposure compensation. Ideally, you want some priority in manual modes. Okay, so I have one of those cameras, All right. Um, and I've actually had a couple of those cameras, and some of them are great. They have these wonderful scene modes in there, and they have some manual control, but much of the time, I can't get to them. I have no idea how to get there when I need it. So I am suddenly there are fireworks going off around me, and I'm trying to find the fireworks mode. I found it, but the exposure compensation is off. As somebody who's shopping for one of these cameras, is there a particular brand or kind of camera I should look at where I can actually get to these manual controls more easily? Well, that's a really good question. And, um, part of what that means is you don't want to just, this is a case where you don't want to just be shopping online. Get mm -hmm. to a camera store and get your hands on some cameras. Go with an idea of, I know these are the controls for the way that I shoot that I want to use every day. And if you're starting out and you say, well, I don't know what those controls are. Okay, fine. The thing you want to go for is, as you just said, an easy way to change modes. Um, really, really small cameras are not going to have a lot of external controls because there's simply no room for them. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the really thin little um, cute little cameras that fit in a pocket very easily and are great point-and-shoot 
uh, full automatic cameras, but because there's so little physical space on them, there's no external dial for changing modes. There's no external button for changing ISO. There's no external button for uh, exposure compensation or white balance. Those are the controls that you really want speedy access to. So get to a store and start looking at cameras with those uh, functions and actions in mind. I, I know that I want to be able to quickly get the camera into a particular mode. Maybe that means you want a camera that has a big mode dial on the top. That doesn't mean that you're going to a huge camera, but those are controls that you really want to look out for when you're shopping. Okay. Is there a particular manufacturer that you like their menuing system versus some that are maybe not so intuitive? Um, I... I've shot Canon for a long time. I think they have really, really good interfaces. Um, Nikon's menuing systems are very good. Panasonic's are very good. Um, I have a very small Casio that's that actually I can navigate around pretty quickly for what it is. Again, it's a small camera, so it doesn't have a lot of external controls. So I'm really diving into the menus to do anything, which always takes longer than just using an external control. But for a, a menu-heavy camera, it does well. Honestly, it's Olympus cameras that I have the biggest problem with menu-wise. I just can't. For some reason, they think differently than I do. Okay. So... Let's say uh, I want to get a point and shoot for somebody. What kind of money am I looking at for a decent camera? Not you know horribly expensive and not a ton of stuff on it, but a good solid camera for somebody who wants to take good pictures. I think you could probably get in it for sure two hundred fifty dollars up to up to four hundred dollars, maybe um, anywhere in there. You're going to be able to find something. Uh, again, you're you're looking for a camera that's got these controls. You're also looking for a camera that has a good lens on it. Mm -hmm. um, and in that price range, that's going to be kind of the one big differentiator between the cameras you're looking at and cameras that cost less. You're paying extra to get a much better piece of glass on the front of the camera, and that's going to make a big deal when it comes to final image quality. Some other things to consider when you're assessing a camera, in addition to ease of use and ease of controls, are... Uh, how does it do in low light? Um, and that's very often a function of how well it does at higher ISOs. Mm -hmm. It can be a tricky thing to test in the store. One thing to, to consider, like if you go to just Best Buy or something like that, take a memory card with you. And then you can just walk it around from camera to camera and take some pictures and then go home with that card and... Uh, and review the images. These days, most point-and-shoot cameras use secure digital or SD cards. They're cheap. You can you can find them at just about anywhere. So just invest in an SD card and, and go do some experimenting in the store. Obviously, there's only so much shooting you can do in a Best Buy. Um, but you can do some low-light tests if you can stuff the camera under a counter or, or things like that. Um, and just that also gives you a chance to get, get your hands on the camera and feel it and see what you think of it. Right. Now... Do megapixels matter anymore? Do people walk into stores now and say, well, this one has 12, and so it must be better than the one had, that has 10? That's a good question. It it feels like the megapixel war has kind of died down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Canon has actually, uh, in their G series, which is kind of their high-end point-and-shoot camera, they've actually backed off. They released a newer camera that had fewer pixels than the previous model. Um, if that sounds counterintuitive, the, the thing is, as you add more pixels to a sensor, unless you're making the sensor size physically larger, your pixels are having to get smaller so that you can cram more of them on there. When you reduce pixel size, you reduce the camera's ability to perform really well in low light. And what happens when a camera does poorly in low light is you end up with images that have a lot of noise, so grainy patterns and speckly patterns and colored splotches and things like that. So, yeah, vendors at 
at least are starting to understand, okay, we're not just going to keep adding more. We're going to go for really good image quality and feature set. And I think, I think maybe consumers are less less focused on that one number, and it may be because the vendors aren't pushing that one number. As far as does it matter, the fact is you're going to be hard-pressed to buy a camera with less than 8 or 10 megapixels on it. Um, and with that kind of pixel count, you're going to be able to make prints reasonable prints up to 11 by 17 or 13 by 19, which is bigger than most people are ever going to want to print. So in that regard, yeah, pixel count just doesn't matter anymore. So is ISO their new number? Is that the one that the manufacturers are pushing now and say, well, oh, we go to 3200 now, so you can shoot in pitch black and see everything. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, this year, what they're pitching is it's not even photography. It's we've got HD video. All right. Um, as these cameras all get HD video and become video tools as well as still photo tools, that becomes yet another parameter that people are looking for. I think maybe people are starting to understand that there's not going to be a single metric that equates to quality camera um, as they're looking at, because they're getting smarter and going in and going, well, I know I don't want SD video. I know I want HD video and I'm actually expecting to shoot a fair amount of video. I want an HDMI port coming out of it, but I also want, want good low light capability and I want a fast lens on it. I think a lot of people are getting a little more sophisticated about that. And even if they don't know the specifics, they understand that it's a combination of things that makes a good camera. Most important being image quality. Right. Okay, so let's talk about Micro Four Thirds cameras. Okay. This is for people who want something uh, maybe a little higher quality than a point-and-shoot, but not as large as a full-size DSLR. Um, what kind of money are people looking at for Micro Four Thirds? What's out there, and is it worth considering that, or is it better to go all the way up to a, a larger camera? Right. So you've got your point-and-shoot camera, which has a tiny little sensor and a non-removable zoom lens. And maybe it's got manual controls and you're getting really good pictures because the fact is you can get great images out of a quality point-and-shoot camera. But maybe you're feeling a little frustrated because you'd like more lens options or you would like to work in lower light. You would like to shoot with shallower depth of field. That is, you want to be able to blur the background out behind your subject. Those are all things that you're not going to be able to do very well with a point-and-shoot camera. So you could go all the way to an SLR, which is going to get you removable lenses, a much larger image sensor. Um, the larger image sensor is going to give you better low-light performance and the ability to shoot in shallower depth of field, but it's also going to mean a camera that's much larger and heavier to carry around. And of course, the best camera is the one you have with you. Mm -hmm. So if you're not willing to take your SLR, having all that extra quality maybe doesn't count for so much. Micro Four Thirds cameras sit somewhere in between. They're like a large point-and-shoot camera. They're a little bit bigger than something like the Canon G series, but they have removable lenses. They have an image sensor that's quite a bit bigger than what you'll find in a typical point-and-shoot, but not quite as big as an SLR. So it really is a product category that sits right between point-and-shoots and SLRs. You get the advantage of interchangeable lenses, higher-end features, better low-light performance, but you're talking about a camera that I, uh, my Micro Four Thirds camera, I can carry it and three lenses, and it still weighs less than my SLR camera with one lens on it. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a camera that's much smaller and much more portable. You can get into a Micro Four Thirds camera for Six hundred dollars, six hundred to eight hundred dollars, depending on what kind of deal you find and what lens you choose to go with it. So you're definitely paying more for it. You're paying as much as you might for a the lowest end digital SLR. But again, you really want to look at the reality of: Are you going to be willing to carry your 
SLR everywhere. And is it appropriate to carry your SLR everywhere? Do you want to carry a big camera when you go to a, the symphony or something like that? This is a smaller camera that you can work with more like a point and shoot. Okay. Is there any uh, Micro Four Thirds camera that you prefer? I love my Panasonic GF1. Um, I like it because I think the interface is is very, very good. Image quality is great. Shoots HD video, uh, does a very good job. There's an excellent lens collection for all of these Micro Four Thirds cameras. I actually carry an Olympus lens mostly on my Panasonic camera because Micro Four Thirds is a standard, so you can freely swap lenses around. The other cool thing about Micro Four Thirds is people have made adapters to adapt just about any type of lens to Micro Four Thirds. You can put your full-on SLR lenses on the front of it if you want. It becomes a little ridiculous because you have this <laughs> enormous lens on this right. tiny little camera body. But what's cool is you can, if you've got, maybe you're an old film shooter, you've got a bunch of old Leica lenses lying around, or um, old, even people are adapting um, 16 millimeter motion picture lenses to these cameras. There's just a lot of stuff out there, and, and that can be really fun. Okay, so let's now talk about the uh, bigger cameras, the SLRs. Um, again, this is, you're being very generous to give somebody an SLR. Um, about what do they cost, and uh, any recommendations for kind of a, a beginning SLR that's a flexible camera um, without breaking the bank? You know, it's easy to get uh, seduced by by feature bloat and feature sets, but you know, go back 20 years if you were going to give someone a camera, if they got autofocus and some auto exposure controls, they felt like they were really cutting edge and and you know, really possessed of a powerful photographic tool. Nowadays, we've got cameras that have that plus the ability to automatically stitch panoramas and shoot HD video and, and do all of this stuff. If you're talking about getting someone a camera so that they can learn the fundamentals of photography, you're going to do fine even with the lowest level SLR that you can buy. Something that... Um, automatic features on cameras today are very, very good. They will get the shot right 80 to 85% of the time. What manual controls and deeper understanding gets you is that other 15% of the images that are out there. Mm -hmm. That's going to, knowing how to use a camera, knowing the fundamentals of exposure, knowing um, all of that stuff that you used to have to know to even be able to pick up a camera, which now, you know, we don't even think about. Knowing that stuff is going to get you out of tricky photographic situations, open up your creative palette in a, in a lot of ways, and you can do all of that kind of stuff with any camera that has manual controls. So don't feel like, well, I bought the low-end camera. That means that I could be taking much better pictures if only I had gotten the you know camera that was $200 more. Yes, there can be a difference in image quality between a $600 camera and a $900 camera, although that's getting less and less. What you shouldn't do necessarily is get taken in by wow, that feature's got auto white balance bracketing and HD camera or HD video and all this stuff. You know, it, it must allow me to take better pictures. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know what you're doing, you can, you can think your way out of a photo problem with any camera. So um, that comes down to you just need to decide how picky are you about image quality. Mm -hmm. um, and where you're going to see the difference is, is mostly low light, mostly noise. Um, image quality is largely driven by the type of lens you put on your camera. So if you're on a budget, you may find that you're going to get better image quality by going for the lower camera and investing in a better lens than the kit lens that comes with the camera. So when you're shopping around in that, in that low to middle part of the camera spectrum, that's the balance you're trying to take. What body should I buy that leaves me enough cash left over to get a good lens? Mm -hmm. So what, what should people look for in a lens? Um, what you find on, typically on the 
on the kit lenses that come with cameras, they're not the sharpest lenses that you'll find in the camera store. Um, I'm not a huge sharpness maniac. A lot of people are really about, I want to see every hair on, you know, a person's head when I shoot. I'm not that maniacal about sharpness. I feel like even low-end lenses today are shooting much sharper images than than professional film shooters were were able to achieve years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kit lenses are definitely going to be a little soft. The other problem they're going to have is something called chromatic aberration, which is uh, I'm outside, I'm shooting, there's a tree up against a bright sky. I come home, I look at the pictures, and there's a purple or magenta fringe around all the lenses or around, I mean, around all the edges or around telephone wires up against the sky. Any really high contrast area can can result in these little fringy colored bits. And what that is, is the lens is not doing an adequate job of focusing every wavelength of light to the same point. And so it's as if the different wavelengths of light are out of, reg- out of registration, mm-hmm. and you're getting these extra fringes. That's the kind of thing you're going to find on a cheapo ket lens, and those can be really annoying. Um, Photoshop can do an okay job of, actually, it can do a very good job of removing them. But you don't want to count on post production to solve problems, um, to solve hardware problems. So, if you can afford it, it's better to maybe drop down a level of camera body if you're on a budget, and try to go for something better than a than the basic kit lens. And, uh, you know, as far as recommendations, we're talking about a huge range of vendors and so on and so forth. You want to mm-hmm. go look for some reviews and look specifically for people talking about does the lens, how is it sharpness-wise? How is it with these colored, fringy, chromatic aberration things on wide-angle lenses? Does it have a problem with vignetting? That's a darkening in the corners. Zoom lenses, you want to know if there's a problem with different kinds of spatial distortion uh, what we call barrel and pincushion distortion. Does the image look like it gets more spherical in one direction or the other, bulging out or pinching inwards at the extreme zoom ranges? Um, and you can find out most of that stuff on, on any review site, even just going to Amazon and looking at user reviews. Okay. Are there any sites in particular other than Amazon that you'd recommend people look for lens reviews? Uh, DP Review, of course, is the granddaddy of all camera sites, and they're starting to do a lot of lens reviews. Even just Googling the name of a lens and a and review, you'll find a bunch of stuff. Okay. Well, we've been talking about a lot of money so far, so let's talk about less money. Um, I have somebody on my list who's a photographer. I don't have a lot of money. Any recommendations of stuff I might get for them? First of all, it's going to depend on how much you know about what they already have. Mm -hmm. One thing that's fun uh, is trying to get them some accessory that's going to let them try some new type of photography. So, for example, an infrared filter that might fit on one of their lenses. Um, that's going to let them start to explore infrared photography, um, other polarizing filters, just just things that are nice to have that they may not ever have invested in. The problem with that is you got to know the diameter of their lens. Right. Um, something like infrared, uh, depending on how much you want to spend, one of the one of the best cheapest things you can buy for your Canon or Nikon camera is either Canon or Nikon's, obviously the one that's appropriate for your camera, uh, 1.850 millimeter lens. Both companies sell a 1.8 50mm lens that feels like the most cheapo piece of plastic worthless lens you could ever get when you take it out of the box. But it's actually got a great piece of glass inside of it. Really sharp, nice and fast, meaning you can shoot with a really wide aperture, which means you can shoot at really low ISOs. Very small, very lightweight, and you can get those for under 100 bucks. Um, get one of those, stick an infrared filter on it and give it to somebody, and they've got suddenly this ability to experiment and play with infrared. If that's still too much, you can go just for the the basic accessories. Gorilla pod kind of things are always fun. Little tabletop tripods. Um, uh, 
we've talked before about um, the Luma Loop, which is, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a really cool uh, camera strap. And I know it sounds strange to get excited about a camera strap, but go check out their website and you'll see why. It's a really nifty arrangement. And they've just released a, a new version or are in the process of releasing a new version that um, that looks even cooler. You sent me the web address earlier and now I can't. Is it lu.ma? It is. And I'll also put that in the show notes. Okay, um, that's a that's a nice gift. I would say uh, one thing to not give is a camera bag, um, and that's just me being a bag nerd. But I feel like a <laughs> bag choice is a very personal thing. Yeah, really, because I, I was going to ask you what don't you give? I mean, one thing uh, maybe you don't. It seems like an, a logical stocking stuffer to give people memory cards. That's a good idea. But what if you get one that isn't fast enough or you get, you know, you have a a Nikon D whatever and it takes compact flash instead of taking the uh, taking the other smaller yeah, and that's and the, definitely you would have to know some things ahead of time. What format does it use? Does it use compact flash or secure digital? Or if they're shooting with a point and shoot, it might be XD picture card or something. And then yes, if they're an SLR shooter, do they shoot a lot of video? If so, that means they they may want a faster card. And you know they may even be they may have some philosophical idea about memory cards. So if you've gotten them this nice 16 gig memory card and they they look at you with a pasted on smile, going "Gosh, thank you," and thinking, "Oh, you know, I prefer smaller cards because I don't." like having all my images on one card in case something goes wrong. So, yeah, I don't know. Memory cards are kind of a personal thing also. Uh, so, generally, you look at their lens collection. If they have more than 16 lenses, you just... You stay away from those kinds <laughs> of, like, really nerdy things, yeah. Um, a gift certificate, maybe, for A gift that. certificate to Best Buy, yeah, or wherever that sells memory cards, yeah. Um, uh, another another cool one, the uh, Y-Bal card, W-H-I-B-A-L, um, and I think you can just go to ybal.com. It's a, they're only like 25 or 30 bucks. It's a tiny little gray card that you use for getting accurate white balance. Um, it's particularly useful for people who shoot in raw, but it's also handy for JPEG shooters. Um, and, uh, that's a nice small thing that they can just carry in their camera bag. Uh, that's very, very handy. Not that expensive. Something else to consider is software. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that runs the gamut from, you know, buying them a high-end copy of Photoshop to buying them a copy of Elements, maybe. Um, if you've got someone who's wanting to learn Photoshop and um, uh, doesn't have the money for it and you don't have the money for it, Elements is the great kind of sleeper photo product that's out there. 89 bucks, something like that. Gives you pretty much 95% of what you need as a photographer. That other 5%... You only need can you can still do in elements and and mm-hmm. most of those things are pretty high end. Um, plugins are also good if you know someone who's a, already a Photoshop user. Um, this year, uh, Nick Software has released a new HDR plugin for Photoshop called uh, HDR FX, which is very nice if you know someone who's a landscape shooter or already doing HDR stuff. That might be a a cool piece of software to throw at them. Uh, Silver Effects, also by Nick Software, I think is a, is a great piece of software that more people need to know about. Mm-hmm. I also understand there's a, a wonderful digital photography book that they might purchase. There is, yeah. You know, you go to the bookstore and there's just shelves and shelves of photography books, and and then there's mine. Ah, um, yes, on its own little shelf. On its own, it, it's got its own pedestal in most bookstores. Actually, it's increasingly <laughs> I never see it in bookstores. Well, it's because it's, it's sold out. out. That yeah. must be it. Yes, and that would be complete digital photography, um, uh, which you may find at your bookstore. If not, you can get it at Amazon. 
Um, it's it would fit in the stocking of someone with really large feet. Otherwise, that's more of an under the tree kind of thing. It's a significant book. I, I've read um, the last several versions of it, and it's it really is a wonderful guide and and would make an absolutely wonderful gift for anybody who's a photographer, whether they're thinking of getting into it or or even if they've had a lot of years taking pictures, because it's uh, it's comprehensive. Oh, thank you. And, true. So what about places to shop? We've talked about Amazon, Best Buy. If you want to get a good deal on a camera or some of these accessories, are there particular places you would shop online? For shopping online, it's really just about you got to go out and do the comparison stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Very often, Amazon does have the best price. But, of course, there's also B&H Photo, um, Adorama, although a lot of times when you buy from Amazon, you're actually buying from Adorama. you got to be careful of the really, really – you know, you'll find the place that has the unbelievable too good to be true yeah. kind of deal. And the reason they're able to do that is because it is too good to be true. And you might order the product and then never ship it because you didn't agree to also buy the $400, uh, you know, lens cleaning accessory that they were also trying to sell. So, um, I've I've kind of given up on when I see the really good deal, I just assume that it is too good to be true. Margins on cameras are not real high. There's not a lot of discount to be had. Um, Amazon and B&H and these other places are pretty competitive. If you see something dramatically lower, it's possible that they're not going to sell it to you unless you buy something else. Or it's gray market, meaning you're not going to get a valid warranty. Yeah, you know, a member of my family did something like that. Um, my sister said, oh, I found this incredible deal on this Nikon uh, SLR. And I looked at the price. There's no way you're going to get that price. Yeah. And uh, she's, give it a try, you know, see if see if they do it. And sure enough, they sent back, oh, you know, gosh, we're out of stock. But how right. would you like to look at this camera instead, which was much closer <laughs> to a realistic price? Right, right. And what's a drag is a lot of times they won't tell you that they've canceled the order or that they're not going to ship it. And so you're, you know, particularly if it's a gift and you're on, you know, you're racing against time uh, to get it in time, you may not, you know, you wait a couple of weeks wondering where it is, it doesn't show. And then you go look and it turns out that they're just not shipping it and didn't tell you. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. So buyer yeah. beware, shop yeah. at reputable sources. And- yeah, and you know, of course, if you have a local camera store, yeah, maybe they charge more, and so you think, well, they're a ripoff. I want to go get it online. But you know, you get a lot of stuff from your local camera store. You're going to be able to go in and and have them answer your questions if you can't figure out how to do something. Get help with lens selection. Supporting the 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 small local store. Yeah, you may not get the best deal on the camera, but you'll more than make up for it with a lot of help and service later. Um, you may not have a local camera store. They're, they're fewer and farther between. But if you do, definitely check them out and see how they feel and start to see, you know, is this a place that you like and want to support just because you feel like you're going to get more help from them later? I absolutely agree. I used to have a local camera store, and unfortunately they're gone. But I would go in there, and they had used lenses. People had decided to trade up or they'd, they'd switched right. formats or something, and I got a couple of great lenses there. I got to shoot in the store. They said, okay, now yeah. come outside and shoot over here. We know the great places to shoot. They gave me a lot of help, and I'm really sorry to see that they're gone because you just can't get that kind of experience online. Yeah, and and don't go in and talk to them and, and learn what you want to learn and then go buy online. That's just tacky. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they are charging you more, and you may feel like, well, you know, it's just why, why should I pay more? Because you get more than the camera when you do that. Um, and particularly in something where if you're starting out, you're, you're really feeling like you're going to have a lot of questions. Um, it's worth establishing a, a relationship with someone local. 
Right. Okay, so I started asking you, uh, what should I have for Christmas? And now I'll ask you, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I have all these cameras, and I, I use different cameras for different things. I have a point-and-shoot that I really like. I've got my Micro Four Thirds camera for times when I don't want to carry my SLR, and then I've got the SLR for when I really want to go out and do some serious photography. And um, I've got closets full of accessories and, and bags and so on and so forth. I, I feel like the um, the... Gosh, I feel like I'm now supposed to say, so what I want is world peace or something like that. But, um, but no, I want more. Yes, uh, I feel like there's still holes in my, in my lens selection that I, would, that I need to fill at some point. And that's not just from a collecting standpoint. I, I have lately been feeling like I've been out and I don't have the lens that I like. And that's something that you should be paying attention to as you're learning. And you can even do this just with your kit lens. Start paying attention to, are you shooting more at the wider end or at the telephoto lens? And do you get out and feel like you don't have enough reach with the end? That is, the lens isn't telephoto enough. Or you'd like to encompass more in the shot. If you're finding certain things like that coming up over and over and over, that's going to give you an idea for what type of lens you may be growing into. Do you find that you want to shoot in lower light or that you like playing with depth of field more? All right, maybe that means you want a faster lens. So as you as you work with these lenses you get, and if you try and pay attention to the type of things you shooting and the way that you like to shoot, you're going to have a better idea of how to expand and grow your collection later. And I've just been noticing some holes in my collection. Of course, those holes are are there because the types of lenses I'm talking about are really, really big and heavy, and I've just never wanted to carry them around. And I still don't know if I want to carry them around, and that's why I haven't filled those holes yet. I don't, I don't know if it's worth investing in a, say, a big really fast telephoto lens because I, I don't know that I'd ever actually take it out and use it. Well, that's it. You, you see professional photographers who are sports photographers and they have these enormous lenses that come in these enormous cases, but you know they're not just lugging those things around right. for their personal pleasure. It's it's part of their job. And, and maybe in those situations, if you need that kind of lens, you read it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very good point. And, um, uh, you know, maybe that's a a gift idea get someone a gift certificate to one of the online lens rental places if they have them um because that's a great way for someone to get their hands on some gear and get to learn some new things without having to invest in a huge in a huge new piece of gear well how reasonable are rental fees very very good and uh, uh there are a few places that i've uh used rentglass.com borrowlenses.com the rental fees are very very reasonable um very often better than what you get locally, at least here in San Francisco. But also the companies are just really easy to deal with. I've rented before and then decided I needed the lens longer. Sent them an email and said, can I keep this for a few more days? And they've said, absolutely, don't worry about it. Hmm. And if you think it seems strange renting a fine piece of optical hardware by mail, it's great. They, you know, It comes packaged um, in a really sturdy way that's really easy to repackage. They cover the postage, a lot of them, maybe all of them, I don't know. So it's actually a really easy way to work. And yeah, if you if you feel like yeah, once a year I need a 400 millimeter lens, don't go buy a 400 millimeter lens. That's that's not worth it. But you can probably rent one with very little difficulty. Great. Well, good advice and uh, happy holidays to you, Ben. And thanks very much. Oh, thank you, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macro Podcast. I'd like to thank Ben Long and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 
520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPad, iPod, iPhone, Apple TV, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you around.